Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Again, fellow basement dwellers, it's your good friend Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds, a holiday edition in front of the Christmas holiday as we are going to do the holiday project, the project that was supposed to start last week, but Disney messed it all up. Disney tried really hard to mess it up again this week as well. We are going to talk about that explosive final episode of season two of The Mandalorian, episode 16, as a ton of shit happened, including another show reveal, because Disney just didn't, they just, they, they felt like they needed a, a, one more surprise for us all. So today, today, ah, easy for me to say. Holiday nog is already kicking in, fellas. I'm I'm sorry. I've, I've a little too much. I, I, just, I, I I'm lying. I haven't drunk yet. But um, smaller group today. I'm gonna start drinking now. The holiday nog, and welcome in our co-host, the lawyer himself, uh, David Ungar, and the live studio audience, our good friend PC Tunney. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? I'm off to a rough start. Well, I can tell Tunney and I are already drinking. So I, I got an idea, Patrick. Let's just save like 30 minutes and we'll just post the private conversation between me, you and Tunny from the other day. And that'll give everybody all the information they need about the last episode. That's of Mandalorian. Basically the show. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, yeah, I was, it was crazy how much went on and it's the first episode where I've watched it and then been like, we need to talk about this now before the show. Like I, I almost never do that. And there was just too much that happened. And so, yeah, we're going to, we're going to talk about the wrap up here. Tony, how are you doing today, sir? I am feeling wonderful. I am in the midst of some fantasy football playoffs. So this is a welcome distraction as I have, I have golf on instead of football too. I I have transitioned. I've transitioned to uh, basketball. Yeah. Badgers had a 37 point win over Louisville yesterday. What they they make like 16, three point baskets. Yeah, it was crazy. I could I couldn't believe it. Largest uh, ranked win for the Badgers ever, and obviously on the other side for Louisville on the lost side. Yeah, Illinois is playing Rutgers as we speak. They're at halftime with a four point lead, and I started. I, I DVR'd it, so I'm recording it. When the game started, I hit play on the DVR recording list so that I could pause it, and Directv would not start the game up. 
if I paused it for too long because DirecTV has this nasty habit. So today's spoiler alert, Dave, is to not talk about the Illinois Rutgers basketball game as it's a tight one between two ranked teams at the rack. And look at Dave. He's already like, okay, let's go to see. Let's go to a sports line. Let's look it up. I'm on to you. This is it, though, fellas. We're going to just jump right in. Let's talk about the Mandalorian. And Dave, I, I know you're really worried. We'll, we'll, we're going to put the, the horse before the cart here real quick. Next week, we got a show to cover. Because on Friday, Wonder Woman 1984 is dropping on HBO Max. And it just fits right in to the episode review portion of the show. And I know, I know you've been been kind of chomping at the bit for another show i think i think we got our answer though i think we're going to do a very special nerd review edition of bandwagon nerds next week yeah i i think um we're going to review wonder woman on the show next week and i imagine that'll be the uh nerd review for the following week right uh, yeah, maybe i think so and i i don't know well. what else really supersede it uh, <laughs> what else is <laughs> that important is going to happen I mean that's gonna be that's gonna be sure. the big the big the biggest thing that's coming up this week. I mean it's the first what it's it's what yeah it's been a year since a a major movie hit theaters and that was your favorite Rise of Skywalker and now one year later, um here we go Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four. Oh, and point of fact, by the way, the old Facebook memories let me know that one year ago, I saw the Rise of Skywalker and said, "quote It was fine." How my how things have changed in one year. I mean, that was the nice way of me saying I didn't like the movie. I think everybody's decided that's what it is, right? When I say something's fine, that means it. That means I hated it. So, but yeah, next week, nerd review, very special nerd review edition of the podcast. We will talk about Wonder Woman 1984 since it is dropping Christmas Day uh, on on HBO Max. But before we get to that, let's let's wrap up this week in. An episode of The Mandalorian that, to quote Ric Flair by the time it was finished, with a tear in my eye, that was a tremendous finale to a season. Yeah, PC, you want to go, man? I'm, I, you know, I, I would defer to you on this one. I absolutely loved it. I, I watched it before I went to work because I didn't want to have anybody there spoil it on accident, and I watched it when I got home. So it, it was just a great episode. They they gave you everything you wanted and more. Um, you know, we, we it's funny. We, we, you could literally read the conversation we had, like you said. But, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen next. I, I love the humanizing of the character of the Mandalorian, you know, with the helmet coming off. I mean, I, I think it was pretty much foreshadowed by, what, Bill Burr, right? Comedian? Yep. Um. I think I missed the episode. A great job by him. Um, and foreshadowing that I think things are going to change, right? You, you know, every, everybody has their opinion until shit hits the fan. And then it's, you know, everybody's, everybody's got their backs to the wall. So it's interesting. And then to see what we're going to have coming next. Uh, I wonder if there's a lot of people who had to go back and watch that, who just hit stop when the credits rolled. So, right. I, I mean, I've long learned that you never hit stop when when the credits roll. That's just that should just be a rule. Well, I watch on my laptop, right? So right. It, for me, I can just scroll over the timeline and, and it shows me what's going on. So that's what I did. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of time left. I'm like, 
oh, there's something. So then I just went to that point. So a supersized 42 minute edition of the Mandalorian. Yeah. Very, I mean, very absolutely loved the episode. I mean, I thought they couldn't have done any better. I, it was, it was simply fantastic. The, the, I mean, we talked about it on the show. I talked about it, you know, personally with people. I thought there was a very good chance that it would be Luke who was going to answer that call. And um, to see him show up like that and to be that powerful and to just, you know, absolutely <laughs> waylay a platoon of dark troopers. Yeah. They're, they're, and, and, and you're right, Patrick. I know I talked about a force choke. It wasn't really a force choke. It was a... I mean, I guess a variation of the force, force crush. Yeah, force crush where he just compacted everybody. Uh, like I, he crushed a, crushing a beer can or a soda can in yeah. your hands. Yeah, I mean, his. we talked about it in that chat that Luke's powers had probably at least doubled since the end of Jedi. He had really come into his own. And, uh, you know, I I think, like you said, Tony, the humanizing of, of Mando at the end where they ET'd you. I called it, <laughs> I think I created a new verb. They ET'd you at the end where that whole, he's looking at, at, at Grogu, Grogu's looking back at him. And, and you really felt that. Go ahead, PC. So my question to you guys is, did you, what's, what's next for the Mandalorian? Because we know what's next for Boba Fett or what, what we're going to, you know, what, what's happening there. So he's out of the picture for this storyline. I like to think that Grogu is not going to be in this storyline. They're not going to follow Grogu, right? So what's next is how does the dark sword, the dark saber, right? How how do they handle all that? Because we learned that Man- Mando is technically the king of his country, of his of his planet now, right? Right. They're they're so is that where we're going to go? Threads. I I think so. I, there's so many threads with Din now. With, with Krogu going off of Luke Skywalker, where you, you hit on the first one, like the Darksaber and who has the right to the Darksaber. He doesn't want the responsibility. He doesn't want the Darksaber. He tries to give it up, and we learn the Bo-Katan can't take it from him uh, unless she wins it in combat, whether that's by her own ethos, which is the way I kind of understood it was that was kind of her own hang-up. Like, she just wouldn't take it. Kind of her own version of this is the way, if you will. You also have... His he's completed his mission that he was given at the end of season one by this kind of fringe group that we know about there. Where do they fit into all of this? Do they pop up in sort of what happens next with Mando? Where do, where does he go? What does he do? Because they're still out there. You know, the remnants are still out there. And so that's a whole other thread that I think has some real possibilities. I think that the nice thing that was very adeptly done in this script was that there were avenues of story to be told with Din that, that didn't pigeonhole him into one narrow lane, which when we talked about this in our chat, that was my kind of my complaint about Grogu going off of Luke Skywalker. I felt that that created a very narrow pathway for Grogu and Grogu's story, you know, assuming that even if he does go back to Din, like how that all works with, with the Mandalorian, I don't necessarily see that. I see there's about three plot threads that they could choose to take. And maybe even ones we haven't considered just within the Mandalorian people and the culture. Right. There's, you know, like when we're at the midpoint of the season through the first four episodes and I I know, you know, we all kind of were like, okay, there's some side questy things going on here. And, you know, at that point, 
I, and I don't know how you guys felt, but Patrick, I got the distinct impression from you. You were kind of like me. It's like, this is good, but it's not measuring up to season one yet. But boy, those last four episodes really elevated this series to an entirely different level. I mean, five where Ahsoka Tano shows up, six, seven was a little bit of like the calm before the storm. And then that last episode, I, I said, and I, I stand by this. I mean, that's got to be right up there with Empire and Rogue One as the best storytelling that I've ever seen in the entire Star Wars saga. And I don't feel like that's an exaggeration. They delivered such a, a, a I mean, and they brought you in with uh, with that whole thing where the X-Wing shows up and you're like, oh shit, is it going to be Luke? And then the green lightsaber and you're like, it's got to be Luke. And then, and then the glove and you're thinking, it can't really be Luke, get it? And then he, you know, removes the hood and there's that CGI and they did such a tremendous job with that, that, um, I mean, that part was really well done. I love the Darksaber fight between Mando and Moff Gideon. I thought that was great. Darksaber versus pure Beskar spear. And I think I mentioned it the way that the Beskar started to glow red in the middle. So you're like, he's running out of time. This is going to, this is going to be a problem. But, um, yeah, I mean, they, they did the last four episodes were such world building combined with the Disney investor day that they just opened up. So, I mean, we, we had that, I know like Patrick, that, uh, what was it? Episode 53, right after the one year episode, we did a whole thing on star Wars and we speculated about all this stuff and where could they go and what could they do? And they were just like, again, it's like, here, Patrick, hold my beer. Let me show you what we have in store for you. And they used the Mandalorian as kind of like the launching point for here's all this stuff that we're going to do. And it just, they did it. They did it so well that I, you know, I mean, I, the, the future of the franchise went from being kind of like skeptical about it to very, very promising by the end of this episode. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know that I was ever skeptical. Cause I, I, cause I, I, I'm sorry. I'm struggling to find the words here. I think the uncertainty of what was going to happen next and the silence that we'd really heard from Disney other than a few nebulous hints and kind of being out there to speculate a lot of things creates a sense of unease. Whereas the excitement drummed up in the last two weeks out of just kind of revealing what the plan is has 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 kind of reassured us. And, and again, for me, it's a lot of not just that. It's also the people that have been put in charge of these things, like the people who are, who are showrunners or who are doing the work. Like when you look at, you know, Taika Waititi, Patty Jenkins, um, I can't remember the name of the woman who's the showrunner for Obi-Wan, but she's somebody who directed the second episode of the Mandalorian like ever and put out a terrific thing that, you know, that we possibly have a, a Boba Fett show. That's the other question that I've seen asked is the next chapter of the Mandalorian Boba Fett's underground thing. And Tony's shaking his head. No, I don't think it is either. It's just a question I've seen asked. No, they've actually, they, haven't they already said season three of the Mandalorian will debut Christmas? on Christmas next year and that, but Boba Fett will like finish alongside of its beginning because isn't that in December of 2021? December 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I've heard so, that they're absolutely not the same thing. I, I don't think they, I don't think they are either. I don't, I think that you've got too many characters that people are invested in and within the, within the original show to then worry about connecting it. I think a, a spinoff makes a lot of sense. Uh, one other moment that I really loved and appreciated in, Again, when I think about 
the few mess, missteps I've seen in the far filming of a Marvel cinematic film, the, the women's empowerment movement, uh, moment of, uh, of end game was so forced and, and trite and silly. And you got to see a good 20 minutes of how you can build a scene that is organic, that shows, you know, women or whether it's women, people of color, whether it's, you know, various identities, other people rising to the occasion. You got to see that as these four characters marched their way through this Star Destroyer and obliterated everything in their path. Granted, they're stormtroopers and everybody should, but like a boss, just outstanding. And that was pun pun not intended. Uh, as I know the boss was a part of that, that women group. It was just awesome. It was just, it was great to watch. It was very well done. It was. Can I pose a question to you too, though? And this is a serious question. Do you think that this woman's empowerment moment in these movies is becoming a little tropey now? Because we've seen it in Endgame. No. We saw it here. We saw it in Birds of Prey. Um, are, are they, are they sh- funneling this in as fan service or what do you guys think? I, I didn't make it didn't feel like it to me when I watched it. I enjoyed right. it. At the same time, you can ask yourself, what happened to the guy that was with Casca Reeves and Bo-Katan? Yeah, the fourth. Why wasn't he the with third. them? Was yeah. it just because was it just because that would they wouldn't have had that moment then? Maybe. Here here here's my here's my counter to this question of whether it's tropey. They don't do it. They haven't done it in movies. Like this isn't something that's been done in movies. And so it's, but it's being this, done now. It didn't feel forced. At, at, at what point do you? What point do you just? And that's the thing is I'm I'm gonna use the two moments that I brought up. And Birds of Prey I think is unfair because that is a comic that exists that is led by women that are women that is not a fair comparison in my opinion, Dave. But if you take this episode and you put it up, in my opinion, if you put that up against the MCU thing where Tony used the the absolute best word. It didn't feel forced. It felt natural. It felt like there was a plan. There was something that exists. They even got Boba Fett out of the picture in a way that made sense. Who cares? I didn't even notice the dude was gone until like way later in the episode. No, I really didn't. And you know, Tony's like, you know, you're waving me off, but no, in all honesty, like I was about halfway through the scene where I was like, wow, this is this really great put together scene where you know these women are doing her and i'm sorry three white straight dudes being like well is it tropey now it's like i think fair and don't, like and i don't say that about you dave but i just we're not seeing it in every movie it's still not a thing and it's just felt it just felt it didn't it didn't feel forced it didn't feel like they were saying hey like they didn't trump it up like they didn't have like this big like women in frame to start the the walk down moment like they did in in endgame it was, this is our plan. This is us going about it. And, you know, I think it was when they were on the catwalk, that's when you finally got the four of them kind of walking down and doing what we've seen in, you know, um, Reservoir Dogs and other movies like that. So that's, and, I, I, I don't think it's a trope. And just to be clear, I don't have any problem with it. I'm just saying that you could, you know, I'm wondering, are they going in this trend where we're going to make these moments in every every chance that we can get? Um, and, and I don't want to see them just do something for the sake of doing it. If it feels organic like this one did, then that's great and that's fine. 
Um, I, I, one of the better tweets I read was somebody had said, Sasha Banks just tornado DDT'd Boba Fett, you know, where she goes up you with the jetpack. Jet yeah, that was awesome. Also, I like how we were talking about it, how Boba Fett's just, you know, missing, misfiring on everything until that, that the, the shuttle crashes into the hangar. And then he just says, all right, fuck this. And then blows away all the TIE fighters. You know, I thought that was a cool moment. I do want to address kind of like I wanted to ask you guys because we talked about it so much and I think it is it is a conversation point. One of the things I had asked you guys was was Luke's decimation of the dark troopers on the same level as what Vader did in Rogue One or was it even more impactful or less? I mean, my opinion was I thought it was a bigger moment because he destroyed a platoon of dark troopers, not a bunch of rebel scrubs. Um, but they are very similar scenes to showcase each one's powers in a way you hadn't seen before. I did want to see what you guys thought about that, because it is an interesting discussion point that I've had with numerous people. I, I would answer your question with a question in the fact that have we ever seen anyone more powerful than that right there? I mean, that was not he didn't just destroy them. It was just a walk in the park. It was a he was filming a training video. I mean, literally, he, he, right. and he, when he walked, when he walked in and took the hood off and you seen who it was, the expression he had on his face of calm and confident and powerful is probably the same look he had on his face while he was doing that entire thing from a, from a character standpoint, in my opinion, I think once I seen the glove and the fact that you see him use dark side and, you know, good and bad powers at the same time. I don't think there's ever anybody more powerful than he is right at that moment in that period of time. He is. He's not the last Jedi because we know Ahsoka's out there, but he's the last Jedi master. Right. I think um, it's not an accident that that scene was shot the way that it was shot, that it looked the way that it looked. It was definitely a parallel to Rogue One. It was... You know, it was enjoyable. I, I'm with Tony. Like, the second I saw the green lightsaber and the glove, I was like, oh, it's Luke. And of course it was Luke. Like, at the end of the day, with all the debating we were doing, of course it was Luke. It made the most sense that it was Luke. And it's actually, like, upon reflection, I feel kind of silly that we threw out other names. You know what I mean? Like, in that, like, fun for debate, looking back, I'm like, man, did we really need to do that? Like, what were we yeah, thinking? But at the same time, I give, us, I, give us, I give us credit for that because... The fact that we thought that Mandalorian character stood on its own, regardless of what they could have done right. with that. Now, sure. at the same time, we don't we don't hold that on the other side of the coin, though, because we're happy to see Luke. I was happy to see Luke. I was thrilled. I was that ecstatic, that's ecstatic to see him. I don't ever need I to was see happy him. to see Luke. I don't know about ecstatic. Okay. Well, I, I'm a bigger Luke fan than you know. I am a bigger she, than a Vader fan. What's that? Do you, need to, do you need to go? Do you need to go be alone for a little bit? Did you like squeal like fangirl like this? Were you like, yeah, I'm fist up in the air? Like, ah! I, I popped. I would, didn't squeal, but I, in the words of Christopher Platt, I popped for that. I was like, yes. Audible. <laughs> God damn it. I like Platt, this. Tony. Platt's in the studio I, I like audience. I, I like being the studio audience. Ha 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 ha. That's right, folks. Tony, Tony gave me some power. The other thing I got to ask you guys is, is my very unpopular theory, which was actually discussed by me, a cashier and a bagger in Albertson's last night because I went, walked in wearing my Mandalorian shirt. So the guy's checking me out and he's asking me questions. What do you think of the last episode? And then the bagger's there. He's a so this is the, the reach of this 
show that simply wearing a Mandalorian t-shirt triggered a conversation in line at the grocery store. So we were talking about the whole, my whole theory that um, Kylo perhaps kills Grogu and that's what sends Luke off the deep end to the, the level of failure. And the bagger says, what if that's the reason Luke wanted to kill Ben in the first place was because he killed Grogu. And I stopped. I thought that's an interesting point. It, it's, it's a very unpopular opinion. I understand that it, it is one that makes a lot of sense. Where do you, I mean, and, and the other thing, do you think that they could turn like, you know, Luke's Jedi temple? Cause they can't do a whole series CGIing Luke. That would cost a ridiculous amount of money, but they could do like a clone wars rebels sort of animated series involving Luke Grogu, all that stuff that's going on at the Jedi Temple. Do you guys see them going in some direction with that storyline to show what happens? No. No. <laughs> all right. Onward then. How about those lists? No. It's funny. It's funny. I honestly, I, I truly believe what I said is that these first two years of of this show, to me, are like the story before the story. I right. mean, what is that the epilogue? Is that what that is? is am I, yeah, right? the epi- it's like the epilogue to one and the prologue to the next. You know what I mean? Like the one because the epilogue happens at the end of the saga, the prologue happens at the beginning of one, and, and it's possible that it's a, it's a little bit of a combination of the two. I, at some point, I, I guess it kind of depends, Dave, on what we take out of words and whether we believe what the script says. Because you know, you got Din telling Grogu that you know we'll see each other again. Now he could be saying that because he doesn't, you know, just to reassure Grogu, you know. But who knows if they if their lives will ever cross paths again? I I just things feel like that. Just felt like again, kind of a completion to a story. And I don't know if it's the start of the next story. I don't know. Like, there's nothing right now about a Luke Skywalker story, which is what this would be. Like, there, I don't know that it's a Grogu story necessarily to start. It's it's a it's still a Luke Skywalker story, and that was the only you know. If I had any sort of level of quibble, was because of course it was Luke. I'm just weary of the Skywalker saga. Like, and I know it's another chapter and it could be a new and exciting chapter. I'm kind of weary of it. I, and doesn't that, that makes the most sense though, Dave is like an animated series because like, oh, Grogu, yeah. like who needs to keep like fucking around with that little doll that no one can play or move or use or do anything. It's basically right. a remote control or something. And when you look at this success of clone wars and rebels and how well that was done and clone Wars seven seasons and, and how well they did that. And you look at the financial aspect of things like, you know, how much is it going to cost to CGI Luke Skywalker for even two episodes or to deal with Grogu and all that? Yeah, an animated series would make a lot of sense. They could tell a great story that would be canon and they wouldn't have to go and do a lot of stuff, a lot of different things. Um, Patrick, this is this is my section of the show where Dave has questions. So I got (laughs) to I know you're coming up at the end. I want to ask you this one. Um. You and I were, you know, both in this camp that the whole Baby Yoda thing was overrated. Did you find yourself, once he got his name, that my perspective on him changed a bit as we went along? And by the end of the season, I didn't feel like he was overrated anymore. I felt like he was a fully fleshed out character, especially the last episode. Some of the some of the things that they did with his eyes, and it, it just, to me, I, I, I felt some connection to him that I had not felt up until then. A kinship, even. Yes, thank you. I uh, isn't that like not 
don't don't name a stray that you take in that you're going to get rid of or something yeah, as a pet stuff like that. I do think that by giving by by finally naming Grogu, it pulled the character a little bit out of the shadow of Yoda, because the look when he was just known as the child is so Yoda, like just tremendously Yoda that you can't help but make the comparison. And, you know, once you stop thinking about it as a reincarnation of Yoda, then it it makes it, I do think it makes it different. Like I said, the goodbye, the ET goodbye, like in the feels like 100%. And it was because we bought into that bond, right? Like, and that bond, I think, gets strengthened when you know it's a relationship between Din and Grogu and not a relationship between, quote-unquote, Baby Yoda, the child, whatever, this this nameless face, and another nameless face. Like, by the end of the, this this two-season, two 16-episode run, we have completely developed this relationship in these two characters to a point where there is a passionate follow between the fans to where your heart melts a little bit to where you're like, Oh my gosh. And it's very touching when they say goodbye and it's not a bad goodbye. It's not a sad goodbye too. Like much like ET, like it's a goodbye. Cause you, you know, you're, you're seeing a relationship change, but it's, it's a relationship that's, being you know is changing for the best and both characters are in, in what i would say a better place than when they start and we're going to continue to follow din and so yeah i i do think that giving him a name calling him grogu characterized it made a character it really did kind of be that last piece in that character that then gives you a different sort of connection than what you had when it was just the child slash baby Yoda. So I agree. Yeah. Completely completely agree with you. Terrific, terrific, terrific episode. Sad as Tony, I think you said it was it three episodes ago. You're already kind of sad because you know, you got another year before you got to come before we're going to come back to this. But I mean, thank goodness again, Disney let us know that the cupboard's not going to be bare. And, you know, maybe for Star Wars fans, you got to wait a little bit. But if you're a Marvel fan, we're going to be covering WandaVision before you know it. And let's look at that. And here's the thing. I'm so excited about that show, too, because that is a tribute to television. Like, if you've watched the trailers, and I know you have, Dave. Have you, Tony, have you watched any of the trailers? What what were you talking about? I'm sorry. WandaVision. WandaVision. What is WandaVision? WandaVision is the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first Disney Plus show. It's debuting in mid-January, following Wanda Maximoff, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch, and the Vision, who died in Infinity War. And I, I think, actually, you in particular, given your appreciation of television and, and television shows, should at least check out the trailers, because they are love letters to decades of television situational comedy and it's it like it starts with a very 1950s look and just progressively goes through like a 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s early 2000s look and aesthetic for the show and the stories that they're telling while also telling the story of this character that we last saw in endgame mourning the death of of her love uh, have you seen Doom Patrol? 
I have not started watching it yet, but now I have time to to watch it while while we kill time in between. So I'm wondering if that's Marvel's answer to DC's Doom Patrol. Have you watched Doom Patrol, Dave? I I have not, but I would suggest. Well, Marvel's answer. Doom Doom Patrol is 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 more mentally challenging and almost sicker than the boys. I, I want to watch it. it. It is definitely one of those series. I want, I know we've talked about There's a ton of episodes. Too. Yeah. We've talked about reviewing it. I mean, that's one that's high on my list. Titans is high on my list. Lovecraft, Lovecraft country. Patrick's recommendation real high on my list. Um, you know, if we get a lull between, but I don't think we're going to get much of a lull between WandaVision and Falcon and winter soldier. And then, you know, who knows where we end up at that point by then. I mean, maybe. Some, yeah, I mean, we got seasons of lock and key coming back up at some point. Yeah, the Witchers- I, I saw you guys, uh, Henry, Henry Cavill got hurt. Um, sounds minor. That, that, but it's minor. When's- S- sounds like they had a break coming up, so they rescheduled some shooting beforehand and maybe right. they'll just go heavy afterwards. Any I, don't, news I, don't, on, I don't think that's going to be delayed. Is there any news on lock and key season two? When can we expect that? Anybody know anything? I thought I saw November of next year. Oh, Jesus, that long? I can look now. I can look right now. You guys keep going. We'll, we'll be okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, if if this vaccine stuff works and we can get on top of it, I mean, and, and the fucking thing doesn't mutate like it is in Britain everywhere else. I think the season's done. Like, I think it's it's in the can. It's just a matter of maybe post-production and uh, releasing. I mean, I'm just hoping for the, the the big movies. I know Tenet is now available for streaming. That's that's one we sh- I'm probably going to want to pick that up and take a look at that. Um, but yeah, there's no shortage of stuff to do, uh, to st- right. things to watch. And, and of course, we got the big, the big one coming up on Christmas Day. I mean, they did biggest, exactly. biggest, biggest movie of 2020. I would say so. So, yeah, but I think we're going to close the book here on The Mandalorian uh, for now. Second Fall. half of 2021, sorry. Okay. Second half of 2021. Well done, gentlemen. Great review as usual. Studio audience, how did you feel about the, the finale of The Mandalorian? That's what I thought, exactly. Big thunder supplies, thunder supplies. Very nice. Okay, so. We got a project episode, which always makes Craig DeMarco nervous. But since he doesn't have internet, he doesn't have to worry about it anyway. Mwahaha. It's all us now. It is. We are going to, faithful basement dweller, we are going to go through and talk about our top 10 holiday specials, movie and television, whatever we wanted to categorize. Not a lot of rules this time. Just no uh, honorable mentions, Dave. And None. Zero. We're gonna put this put this list together, and I'm gonna I'm actually gonna, you know, the rules haven't changed. If we uh, we'll we'll start. We're gonna do ten through six before the break. If anybody matches higher on my list, hands up and all that. Which I may have to change the background because you can't see I'm putting up a finger unless I like put it in front of my face there. There you go. Yeah, you're yeah like you're picking at, your it nose. looks like you're putting it up Freddie's nose. nose. Just actually, just put it on your yeah. nose. There you go. Yeah. Put it on your nose. Uh, uh, Chris Kringle style. There you go. Nice. I got gotcha. you. I hear where you, I hear what you're putting down. Um, as always, before we get into this, uh, let's talk a little bit about what what we do uh, to make our list. I'm going to start by admitting my own hypocrisy. In a, in a conversation with Dave, I had said that one of the movies that I'm going to put on my list would not be on my list, and then Dave uh, was wise enough to, you know, screenshot me and show that I had said that I would uh, not put it on a list and then put it on a list. So kudos that, that, to you, Dave. 
That internet's a motherfucker, ain't it? Yeah. God damn, it follows you everywhere. You'd think I was a lawyer or some shit like that. <laughs> got booed for that? Order, order in the court, damn it. At least I'm not at least I'm not like, you know, leaking hair dye down my face or anything like that. So here's the thing is I'm starting to see what the appeal is to why why Greg gets so so excited about this soundbite thing. Like I, I get it now. I get it. I'm gonna have to tell him this on the DeMarco show when when we when we record on Tuesday because I'm I'm understanding here. But um early numbers yeah, are so, looking good. Early early numbers are looking good for the Greg and Miranda list DeMarco show BTW. Oh yeah, I know. I, you know, I got a phone call after after the listen to to give me a, a an applauding review from the man himself. So kudos to us. Here's the Utani. Cheers. Clink. Yeah, just eliminate Greg and Miranda from their their own show. Why not? No, thank you. Anyway, DeMarco show starring Patrick Woodout and PC Tony. <laughs> <laughs> So holiday, holiday, holiday specials. I, I'm going to just, I'm going to kick this little bit of conversation off. I fucking love holiday specials. I pull them out every year. I, like, after, <laughs> right now, right now. there you go. There you go. Every year after, after we finish the turkey, after Francois was done, the little O'Dowd and I, we go downstairs and we pull out all, because I still got DVDs and Blu-rays, we pull out all the holiday movies and I put them in order of watching them up to my my top two. And my top two are always the last two I watch. And then one that's not on this list, but that is always the first one I watch is Irving Berlin's White Christmas. That's what always kicks it off. Those are my, my holiday watching rules. And I've got it down to a science to where I will be finished by um, by Christmas Eve. Uh, and so very, you know, just very excited to to do this. Very excited to, to share this list. I, I do have movies that aren't holiday movies that, that I only watch during this time of year. And so they fall under the list as well. None of those made this list. But this is a, a mix. I got four movies and six television specials. That's where that wrapped up for me. Gentlemen, when you were making your list, what what was really important to you? Well, for me, I think a lot of it was nostalgia what I grew up with, what, you know, what resonates with me, what brings back those feelings of childhood and, and just that feeling that the Christmas specials kind of give, which is, you know, a, a once, I mean, when I was a kid, it, I mean, I don't know how it was for you guys. You guys are 10 years younger than me, but when I was a kid, you know, Rudolph and Frosty and Santa Claus and all that stuff that came on once a year. And that was such a big moment when it came on every year you would wait for that stuff when's it coming on tv you know when can i watch this you know it was not like now where you can watch it whenever you want and you just kind of take it for granted so that kind of stuff and then there's movies that like like when we talk about but like my number 10 i know it's not going to be on your list patrick probably not on tutties but for me it just it's for some reason i just love the damn thing and there's a lot of um you know a lot of classics that, you know, there's not going to be a lot of surprises with my top five. I mean, holiday movies and specials, when they're done really well, are simply fantastic. I mean, and shout out to what we reviewed on Nerd Review this week, Klaus. That was fantastic. And I very nearly put that in the top 10. It was that damn good. I mean, that was a fantastic movie. I, I just think it's 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 a feeling. These movies are all about a way that they make you feel about the holidays, about something intangible. And that's kind of what what drove me. 
I just remember being a kid and growing up and now being older or having, you know, being with your significant other or, you know, just kind of spending time and, and relaxing and watching something or when you're by the relative's house, these are the things that are on the television, right? Or these are the movies you pop in. I know we always go by a certain aunt's house for uh, uh, Christmas Day and we get there and there's a rotating movies, there's two or three TVs in the different rooms throughout the house, and there's a whole ton of people, and there's a Christmas movie on every single one. And then in the basement, there's a bar, and the NBA's on. But anyway, um, <laughs> what are you going to do? I, I really love that. And like Dave said, when I was a kid, I looked forward to those specials. And I'll, I, can, I can expand on that on my number 10, too. But mostly for me, it's movies. And now with streaming... The, the negative is that it's not as special as it used to be, but the positive is, is you can go back and watch whatever you want, whenever you want. And there's enough of it to do it and make it special if you plan on making it that way. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you guys on the, on the special part of it. I think I, I shared this last week, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. I, we was appointment television uh, and part, and that's probably why like I pull these things out and I watch them once and that's kind of it because I want them to stay special. You know, I think for all the good that Freeform's 25 Days of Christmas is, that you can catch the Santa Claus nine times in the month, like, doesn't make it feel special. So, with that, we're going to go into this, randomly drew names, pulled Ray out. Uh, unfortunately, I, I forgot to mention this, the Reverend, a little under the weather today, so he's not with us. Hopefully, when he comes back, he can share with us a few of his tops. Uh, but the random drawing this time around went Tunny. First, followed by myself and Dave, will be bringing up the rear this holiday season. Well done, well done. And we'll go ahead and hand it over to you, Tony, to kick us off with your number 10 holiday special. I only have one, you know, um, non-film uh, special kind of thing. Uh, shout out to Rankin Bass, and I hope that's Dave's 10, because there's so many different specials that they did. Uh, it's not. If it's not, then I just want to run them down real quick because we'd be remiss to not mention them. Um, they did Rudolph, Frosty, Santa Claus Coming to Town, The Swan Princess, Rudolph and Frosty, Jack Frost. They did Jack Frost. I mean, the stuff they did was amazing. But my only special like that was Charlie Brown Christmas, and I can remember every part of that. Higher on your list? Way uh, higher on my list. All right. Well, then that means we'll move right to Rankin Bass. Reagan and Bass is the elder statement statesman of holiday uh, animation, you know, and, and, and yeah, and you can find most of them anywhere. Uh, my number 10 though, is one that used to air on CBS all the time when I was a kid and is no longer, I don't think playing anywhere on network television and I never find it streaming. I always have to get it from the library. And that is Will Vinton's claymation Christmas special. And this was, Back in the days, y'all remember the California Raisins? Yeah. So Will Vinton was the animator for the old Claymation California Raisin commercials. And when those things were popular in the 80s, it uh, allowed him to leapfrog into a fully uh, full half-hour animated special with what he did was he did a, it was a half-hour of um, – music videos, basically music shorts of Christmas carols with various, uh, anim claymation animation stories. And it's some of the best stop motion animation. He's one of the great stop motion animators out there, right along with Rankin and Bass. And, you know, it's 
finale is of uh, the California Raisins doing Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But for me, it's just some beautiful animation and something that that I always make it a point to stop and watch is they is Joy to the World, which is a it's a montage of just various beautiful cultural celebrations of Christmas. And, and it's just it's art and it's fine art. And I I check it out from the library every year. I'm probably if you look at the list of who's checked it out, it's probably just me once a year checking it out from the local library. So that was my number 10. Loved it very, very much. Nice. I haven't seen that one. I got to check that out. All right. So here's my one that that's going to be off everybody else's radar, probably. And <clears throat> my number 10 is called The Family Man. I don't know if anybody's seen this. Nicholas Cage. Cage. Yes. Great, great, great movie. Wow. I forgot that's even a Christmas movie. Uh, thank you. Uh, Nicholas Cage, Tia Leone, Don Cheadle. It, it is it is kind of a modern take to a certain extent on it's a wonderful life. Uh, it's got elements of that. And it's all about Nicholas Cage is him and Tia Leone are like what they're like, I mean, college sweethearts and he gets sent on an assignment to Europe and she's basically like, don't go. This is not going to be good for us. He goes anyway and they just drift apart. And so it's always kind of like, well, what would have happened? And then he rescue or he intervenes in a, in a, convenience store heist with Don Cheadle and he kind of pays for his or like Don Cheadle's just trying to buy something and they think like he's being held up or something I don't know anyway the whole thing is like Don Cheadle gives him a glimpse into what his life would have been like had he made a different choice and this is but he he still has all of his memories of who he was and so he comes full circle as far as accepting this alternate life where he was a family man just in time for Don Cheadle to bring him back to his present life and say, I told you it was just a glimpse. And then the rest of the movie is him trying to get back to kind of the point he was at. It, it It's really, really well done. I'm not the biggest Nicolas Cage fan. This one, like you said earlier with the whole Mandalorian thing, gets me in the feels, Patrick. It, it's just, it's touching. And it, it, it just, I don't know, it's something about it. It just, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies uh, probably one of my favorite Nicolas Cage movies of all time, right up there with National Treasure. It's number 10 on my list. Yeah, it's a great movie. I've seen it multiple times. I, I always forget it's a Christmas movie. Um, the relationship that he has with the daughter that he yes. never had right. uh, is phenomenal because she's the only one that can tell that it's not their dad. Right. Um, and she and he tells her that the aliens, you know, and she's like, are you an alien? He goes, and he's like, yeah, you know, you know, where's my real daddy? You know, well, he'll be back soon and that sort of thing. And then at the end, yeah, they that relationship with the daughter is just one of those ultra touching kind of things where you're looking at that saying, wow. And I think that's one of the things the kids are what brings him, you know, and he's kind of shattered at the end until at the very end, you know, where it's all like, I just want you to have a cup of coffee with me. And they're sitting in that that cafeteria at the airport with the snow in the background. It, it is a, a very beautiful moment at the very end of that. Highly recommend this movie. Anybody, if you haven't seen it and you got time this holiday season, just check it out. Just trust me on this one. I think you will enjoy it. It holds up. Yep. Um, number nine on the list. I'm pretty sure this is higher on Patrick's. If I remember it's uh, the 1967 Dr. Seuss is how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yep. It's higher. 
All right, my number nine, uh, I went into Comedy Central in the world of South Park for Mr. Hankey's Christmas Classics, which <laughs> is just a beautiful mess of twisted Christmas carols. Everything from Mr. Mr. Garrison and his great song, um, Merry Fucking Christmas, where he runs around to other nationalities and throws wreaths at them and kind of just shows off the hypocrisy of the Christmas season by pointing out that there's all these other holidays that exist for me though what's funny about this was that episode of south park spawned a a cd of mr hankey's christmas classics that has all the tunes from that show plus extra ones that didn't make it and there is a song in which Eric Cartman sings about a Swiss colony beef log and how important it is that he would get one from his grandmother every year. And this year, grandma didn't bring one and he's depressed. And it's hilarious. It sounds like an 80s rock ballad a la meatloaf when his mom finally gives him the Swiss colony beef log. It's hilarious stuff. I laugh every time. I love it. Doesn't take itself seriously like South Park always does. It's it's good stuff. I love it very much. Check it out. Is uh, Mr. Hanky the Christmas poo on that soundtrack? Yeah. Awesome. He he um he actually he sings a song with Kenny called the most offensive Christmas song ever. Mr. Hanky the Christmas Pooh, I love him and he loves you. That's that's and, the one. <laughs> so yeah, that's my number nine. Oh, can't Sorry. complain. Can't complain. <clears throat> my number nine is a Billy Bob Thornton classic, Bad Santa, which almost got fuck the nerd Santa, review. Fuck me, Santa. Fuck me, Santa. I. I don't really have much to say about it. It just made my top 10 because I thought it was a different kind of Christmas movie to make you laugh. And it's definitely a Christmas movie. It it, it really kind of sheds a truth on the fact of what a, what a mall Santa is, I suppose, to a certain extent. I mean, it, it really kind of blows it way past that. But at the same time, it, it's not a glorious thing for 90 plus percent of the gentlemen doing the mall Santa bit. It, it's just a way to make a couple bucks that are... They're much needed, but it is a very, very well done comedy, in my opinion, and I thoroughly enjoy it. Very nice, very nice. I just hit him going to town on what's her name and her yelling "fuck me, Santa" is is <laughs> really what it, it cracks me up every time. <laughs> All right, let's bring it back. Number eight, mine's Four Christmases with Reese Witherspoon and uh, I believe Vince Vaughn when John yeah. Favreau are there. I they got a so I believe Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon are married and they have to go to each. Uh, parents' different house. I think everybody's divorced or something, so they got to go to every in-law's house. And I, I just remember seeing this in the theater, actually, with with the girl I was dating at the time, and it was a great date movie. And it really summed up the fact of all the different Christmases that we were going to have to go to, right? Like, right. I, I'm a child divorced, so I had to go to my mom and my dad's. And, like, she had her mom's side and her father was passed, so then, then the father's side was the other side too so it was like literally i understood what four christmases meant so it's crazy though don't think of it as bad because kids growing up like that often go hey i got two christmases so don't worry about it it's double presents yeah get the oh, xbox yeah. series x from dad and the ps5 from mom <laughs> or oh, you get the cons from one and a bunch of games from the other and you're set to that's start that's right yes all right, well, well, my number eight, I'm sure, is probably higher up on Dave's list. This is the one he called me out on. Uh, and that's the uh, the Bill Murray classic, uh, Scrooged 
reviewed in the nerd review. Dave is nodding higher on your list, pal. Yes, absolutely. All right. Take us to your number eight. Uh, I'm going to guess my number eight. I, and, and I, I'm, I would think it's higher, but I know you changed your order up a little bit. What was your, what was your eight, Patrick? Scrooged. Okay. Uh, my number, that's all right. My number eight is the 1964 classic Rudolph the red nosed reindeer. It's higher on Patrick's. So I'll oh. jump right into my number seven, which probably is going to be higher on somebody else's list. Sticking in the 60s, man, that was a good decade for Christmas specials. Uh, it's 1969's animated feature, Frosty the Snowman. No. All right. I, You know, this was like, when I was a kid, this was always like the third one that came out. Rudolph was first. Santa Claus is coming to town or whatever the hell that one was called, which wasn't my favorite. I liked it. And then Frosty would come on. And that was always seemingly like the third one that would air every year. And I just love Frosty the Snowman. I, I, that, that story was so well. And especially at the end where, you know, you talk about moments that just as a kid make you cry. You know, when Frosty melts at the end and you're just so heartbroken for, I forget the girl's name, you know, but uh, I, I don't, I don't want to call her Karen. Karen. Is, is her it Karen? Is Karen? God damn it. Yeah, it's Karen. <laughs> She's a Karen. She's a Karen. Blonde. But a good Blonde Karen. Woman. But a good Karen. And and then he kind of, you know, he kind of comes back a little bit. Uh, it's such a magical story. I mean, the whole concept of a, the power of, of you know, wishing and the power of, of magic. And, and when you're a kid, it's seeing a snowman get brought to life and just Frosty was such a fun character. That, that, that one just is always going to stick with me as one of my absolute favorites. And that's why, you know, I can't say more about it. That's why it's number seven on my list. I love Absolutely love Frosty the Snowman. Jimmy Durante as the narrator. Thank you. And they spawned a they spawned a, it spawned a sequel. It did. Frosty Frosty's Winter Wonderland, which involved Jack Frost and was narrated by Andy Griffith. And then it spawned a couple of other really terrible later ones where after Jackie um God, I can't remember his name. The guy who voiced Frosty, he passed away. So they did a go with John Goodman. It just wasn't the same. John Goodman is Frosty. Nope. <laughs> right. So my number, my number seven. I, again, I can't imagine it's not higher on on another list. And that's a it's that's a Christmas story. Uh, no, higher on Dave's list. Higher on Tony's list. Excellent. So that means we're on to Tony and his number seven. My number seven is a Christmas Carol. Which version? Well, if you have a version higher, mine is just the story, basically, because I've seen it a number of ways, and that's kind of how I want to talk about it. So if you have a higher, we can hit it there, and I can give my yeah, take after. Def- definitely higher. All right, so number six, then, bring yes, it back sir. around. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Okay, there we go. Patrick, number six. Rolling into See, the this first list, half. This first list half. is little comp. This list is like Luke went. Right. I, I just I just watched Christmas Vacation the last compactor. night. Do we call that the compactor? Right, the compactor. Okay. So uh this is uh my lone Rankin and Bass choice. Though like Tony, like Rankin and Bass to me is Christmas. You know, we didn't we didn't even mention the year without a Santa Claus, which is not the one on my list, but is a, another one of those big ones with uh, with the heat miser and the snow miser and all that. For me, though, it, it begins and ends with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That is that is appointment television for me. It is the la- It is the next to last animated holiday special I watch in my little routine of what I watch. Uh, and it was spe- you, you talked about Frosty Dave. 
my CBS affiliate, it was always Rudolph and Frosty were on the same time or on the same night. So you got both and it was like this huge deal. And I think anybody who's ever felt left out or picked on or just, you know, marginalized can identify with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And, you know, Santa's kind of a dick in that, in that, in that, uh, in that special, but I love it. And the great Burl lives and his voice, uh, lending it, lending his voice to some of the songs. The music is great. Yukon Cornelius talking about how bumbles bounce, just, just wonderful, wonderful stuff. And is my, is my number six. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, and Rudolph is just, it's another one of these characters that you just connect with. And yeah, like you're saying, I mean, if you're, if you're a nerd, you know, up until nerd culture got really popular a couple years ago, you were always kind of on the outside looking in, always a little bit of an outcast. And so you could really empathize with what Rudolph was going through. You know, here he is, he's different. He's got the red nose and, you know, he's got the girl that, that he's kind of interested in. And I mean, it's, it's such a fantastic story and it's done so well. And he just, I mean, absolutely 100% love Rudolph. And Rudolph's not even one of the reindeer. If you really go strictly by folklore, he's really not one of the reindeer. But that one story... He was, he was a really old marketing ploy in a song. Yes, like, exactly. Like, it existed well before the stop-motion animation special. Like, Gene Autry recorded the song most famously. And there's, I mean, there's really old Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer animated cartoons from, like, the 30s. Right. Right. But 30s or 40s, like once, they're really old. Once that thing came out, though, I mean, I, I, I never looked at the reindeer, you know, any any incarnation of the reindeer without Rudolph. I said, that's not the real one. You got to have Rudolph there. <laughs> that sort of thing. So I, I absolutely love it. It's, it's one of my I mean, as a kid, that was the first one I saw. I mean, so that one sticks with me big time with my fading memory. But fuck it. You know, it, it was um, yeah, Rudolph is simply awesome. Tony's like nothing. People, I I have this thing whenever whenever anybody says but comma fuck it or comma but fuck it I I always just say yeah but fuck it yeah I wasn't gonna, I wasn't going to talk about anal but fuck it anyway you know, oh, then, Jesus Christ Dave how about you give us your number six as we spread holiday cheer throughout the throughout the masses <laughs> on the podcast don't judge don't judge yeah don't judge me no um my number six is uh, Elf. That's higher on PCs. I thought it might be. I know. I know it's not on Patrick's, but it, I thought it might be higher on yours, PC. But uh, yeah, oh, my, nice. Why? And you. Nice. And as this as this list just is, it's going to be a long second half, fellas. Yeah. Glad we got the whole hour for the second half here because we have bumped a lot of stuff. So I know we got a lot of thoughts. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting when I give my opinion on Elf. So I might I might stay out of that one. So that's that's. Uh, I think we're at the break. Because my number five we is next. We are at the break, but before we go off into the commercial break, it is always my duty, and I forgot to do this at the top of the show. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot in the Chairshot Radio Network, part of the Chairshot.com. If you love what we do, if you enjoy these shows, whether it's list shows, nerd reviews, if you love our wrestling content, our sports content, our entertainment, sports entertainment content, please. Go over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and buy a shirt. It's probably too late to get it shipped in time because the mail is already backed up so much that, you know, you're probably a week or so out. But maybe you got to get that belated gift out there to someone special for the holidays. 
We've got all kinds of great stuff for you. We've got our chairshot.com shirt. We've got a bandwagon nerd shirt, a winner is you, which came back this week, by the way, after a little hiatus, check that show out. We've got some of our great taglines out there. Hashtag, uh, save tag team wrestling. We've got, um, hashtag journalism, all kinds of good stuff out there. Shirts run at $19.99 unless you're feeling a little fancy, want to get it soft style, which I highly recommend. Spend a few extra bucks. Spend around $25 on that someone you love. Make sure that they're comfy. And just support us. Support us and help us stay on the podcasting airwaves by going over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and investing in us. Uh, we love giving you high quality content and we want to keep giving you high quality content. And you can only do that by getting a shirt over at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. When we come back, our top five Christmas holiday specials of all time. You are listening to Bandwagon Nerds on thechairshot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. And we are back. And we are back. Welcome back, everyone, to Bandwagon Nerds. We are still working our way through the holiday project, and I am looking forward to what is going to be a loaded five through one because we had a lot of that's higher on my list moments in the first half. So, Dave, without further ado, kick us off with your number five holiday special. My number five is one you had mentioned earlier, Patrick, subject of the nerd review not so long ago, and that is Scrooged. Which, you know, I, <laughs> going into a big review about it after we wrote about it seems kind of anticlimactic, but uh, right. it's, it's just one of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and like I had, had, did not realize my wife had not seen it till we did the review. And so now she's watched it and she enjoys it. And we had some, some, uh, her grandson was over here watching it and, and it's, I, I mean, what could you say about Scrooge? The modern retelling of, of a Christmas Carol that. Uh, got a little bit of a bad rap. Just, I think like we'd mentioned it, that this was back before they had the, no, that was gremlins. I'm sorry. But I, I mean, a lot of people thought like, okay, this is too dark. This is too violent. This is too this and too that. Absolutely loved it though. It got skewered by critics. Like I went back and watched some like old reviews because the Metacritic score on it was like a 38 out of a hundred. So like critics did not like it. And it was, I think that you kind of hinted at it. People didn't get it. 
Like, I don't think people quite got it. And it's one of those that I think has gotten better with age as things have gone on. You know, I think my biggest complaint is that the movie needed more Carol Kane. Like, really. Agreed. Like, the, the Carol Kane is the ghost of Christmas present and her adversarial relationship with Bill Murray's um, Frank Cross is just hilarious. And, you know, beating each other up and, oh, look, Frank, a toaster. And she smacks him in the face. Oh, it's so good. Um, just, it's just great comedy. And... I think the like I just think that it was it was maybe a little ahead of its time. It was a dark comedy that that folks didn't entirely get. I don't think that they, I, at least critics, I don't think we're ready to buy into Bill Murray in a dark comedy, and, right. and that's a shame. It's almost like you know you had to you know you had the audacity to to try and tell a dark version of a Christmas Carol. It's like dude, a Christmas Carol is a dark story to begin with. So well, yeah, it's like it's it was the the. The novel itself is is gothic as hell. Like it's just dark gothic, and you consider the time. You know, Dickens wasn't writing during like this really cheery, happy period in history. No, and most of his writing reflects that. So, uh, yeah, I just I love it. Karen Allen, by the way, I don't I don't know that people really appreciate how wonderful Karen Allen is as an as an actress, and it seems like she is a top woman amongst the bandwagon nerds. Uh, and the nerd reviews, like how many Karen Allen movies have we covered now at this point? The Sandlot, now Scrooge. I feel like we've done another one somewhere in there. She's just, somewhere. she's always this great. She's just been a terrific actress and wonderful, wonderful character actress. So very nothing, I can't find zero faults, zero faults, sir, in Scrooge. Thank you. On to your number five, then. My number five, you also mentioned earlier, just a few a few steps ago, and that is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the animated version, the original half hour, narrated by the great Boris Karloff, the little O'Dowd's favorite holiday special, and is the lone holiday special that may get watched more than once because he loves it so much that you just can't avoid it. And honest to goodness, like they've tried to turn this into a movie a couple of times. The the one that just got made, the CGI one with Benedict Cumberbatch, I actually think is not too bad. It's pretty good. Uh, but at the end of the day, there's just no replacing that iconic song. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. And the animation, like, it's just brilliant. It's beautiful animated re- renditions of Seuss's drawings. And it's great. And I love it. And it's it's fun. I, who who here doesn't empath- empathize with the dog Max, like <laughs> who yeah. doesn't feel Max's burden? I do. Plus, he yeah. gets that horn on his head and it sinks him down into the snow, and he's got to saw off the extra pieces of the antler. Tori, ah, love it, love it. Good stuff. Did you? That's my- did you like the Jim Carrey version? I like the Jim Carrey version. I hate the Jim Carrey version. I loathe the Jim Carrey version. It is too much Jim Carrey. Not enough. It's not my vision of the character of the Grinch. How's that? And and I'll put it on me. Too much Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey. Joel Biden. (laughs) What? Oh, yeah, no. I said said that's everything Jim Carrey does, even his impersonation of Joe Biden on Saturday Night Live. It's just too much Jim Carrey. I mean, one of the famous lines from Liar Liar, the redheaded actress who played in that movie with him, I can't remember her name at the time, but if you watch the outtakes from Liar Liar... And they were calling oh, each other names back and forth. Yes. And she yells back, 
you're an overactor. And the whole place just goes nuts. And you can see Jim, like, for a very split second, not thrilled, but realizes the situation. Uh, that that's that's a very very you know uh, understood appreciation of the personality of Jim Carrey. But regardless, the man's brilliant. I mean, if you give you one bad Grinch and and all the numerous other things he's done exceptionally, you know. Oh I yeah, give it. me give me the cable guy any day of the week. Oh my goodness, there are, there yeah, are... the bath the bath word is fourth again. <laughs> there are aspects of the Jim Carrey movie that I like, like the part where he's doing the stuff with the echo and like, you know, he's like echoing, you're an idiot or I'm an idiot. And the echo comes back. You're an idiot. <laughs> stuff like that. I thought that was clever and funny. There are moments. Yeah. I didn't mind it so much as Patrick didn't like it, but the original of what he's talking about is, is Absolutely. a classic story. To me, it's, it's one of the top of, of, of that kind of storytelling for Christmas time. 100% agree. It's, it's one of my favorites too. So that brings it to, to Tony. Number five. You sir. Deck, deck the halls. Wow. Danny DeVito, Matthew Broderick, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, a young Jorge Garcia, uh, and Kristen Davis as well in that movie. It, it's really like the antithesis of what neighbors trying to one up each other on Christmas light fights. And a whole bunch of underlying storylines along the way. It's a great cast. It's well written, and it's just something that you could still watch today and be entertained by because everybody knows the dads of the family or the guy in the neighborhood who takes it way too seriously and just can't seem to make it happen the way it should. Nice. Hey, Tony, yeah. I got to tell you, I just love that you you've had the uh, kind of the outside of the box movies. Like, I love your choices, man. You have given us variety. I, I like a lot of I like a lot of the Christmas movies. I like a lot of the holiday theme movies, like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I know we talked about that. Unfortunately, it's, it's a Thanksgiving movie, but to me, that's one of the best. I, I know I went back the other day and I watched um, uh, Uncle Buck. Great movie, Macaulay Culkin. We're going to talk about him coming up soon, but like the beginning of that career and everything else. So, with all this streaming, folks, go back and watch the movies from the eighties and nineties. It's back when they actually used to write stories. It's phenomenal. God forbid. Do a story, right? All right. Very nice. Well, roll us into your number four, man. Jingle All the Way. Was on my list and was the movie that fell off and was replaced by Will Vinton's Claymation Christmas. It's just, it's classic. I mean, if you've seen it or not seen it. I seen it in the theater when I was younger and everything else and seen it since then. The, the cast is phenomenal. I mean, you have Schwarzenegger and Sinbad, and you're fighting over a toy, and the dad actually becomes the toy when he doesn't connect with his kid and becomes more important than anything could become of that. You know, it, it's just a really – the story's good. It, 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 it makes sense for the Christmas time when people are invading the toy section and, you know – people wonder why there aren't anything left a week before Christmas or there aren't much left because people plan ahead. People order stuff now. So you got to get out ahead of the game. So to me, it's a really fun holiday gift giving movie. So I kind of, I got to check over my shoulder real quick. This movie took on a new meaning for me. And I told this a few weeks ago, but the, the big gift, the little doubt wants his own console. Like he's wanted, he, he's wanting his own video game console, and he he had put out there both the PlayStation Five and the Nintendo Switch, and 
a few weeks ago, I asked the missus, we weren't going to do a five. We weren't, we just weren't going to do a five. Uh, but we had agreed on the switch and his um, grandmother and his aunt are like, it's going to be like this group family gift that, that he gets. Cause Santa doesn't bring big gifts to the, to the Quinn household. He brings little stuff. And then the big stuff comes from the family. I go up to the Mrs. O'Dowd and I was like, so have you gotten, you know, have we taken care of the switch thing? Are we good? Cause I kept looking. And as you know, this time of year, like things go in and out of stock and in and out of stock. And I kept seeing it like out of stock. I can attest they're very difficult to get at your local retail stores. Right. So, so she looks at me and she's like, no, um, you know, it was in, it was in stock a couple of weeks ago, but I, I thought I'd have time. And I was like, well, I'm not seeing it anywhere. And immediately was like, are you Schwarzenegger? Like, are you jingle all, are you jingling all the way this thing right now? And she's like, what, I don't know what that means. All the way. Jingle. There's your title jingling me all the way. <laughs> Fortunately, things have worked out. And then, uh, yesterday I actually sat, it was yesterday, but Friday I, um, while he was in like remote learning, I got to tell this story too. While he was remote learning, I set up the the system right on the television so that all we can do is like plug it in and go. Somehow missed the uh, the warranty information card slid under our coffee table. Guess who found it under the coffee table yesterday while we were watching TV? And I, <laughs> I had to be so, somebody had to lie and be like, "No, that's just an ad. It was in a it was in a collection of ads we got in the mail." He's like, but why does it show you how to hold it? I'm like, fuck you, you little smart bastard. Uh, <laughs> that's like the Christmas that. spirit. There, there's uh, a title. The first, it'll be the first thing. It'll be the first thing that comes out of his mouth once yeah. he knows he there's has the There's the title for this episode. There's fuck you, you little smart bastard. Right, can't do that. So no, excellent, excellent number four, and just yeah, that that feeling. And I've worked in retail too. That feeling of trying to get a gift at the last minute, trying to get the hot gift at the last minute, and. Kids, I don't think you understand what it used to be like. Go back and watch videos of people trying to get their hands on a Cabbage Patch doll back in the early 80s. It was hell on earth. Hell on earth. It kind of looks like reminded me of the end of that first uh, Riddick Bo Andrew Galata fight with fucking riots in the Just ring and all that shit. Brutal. All right, so where to my number four? Yes. My number four is the animated classic A Charlie Brown Christmas. Tony mentioned it as his number 10. Dave, do you have it on your list at all? No, sir. All right. This is my all-time favorite animated Christmas special, period. It's the last one I watch. Um, Decidedly, you know, and it it blows my mind that this is such a classic when it was something that Charles Schultz admits that he literally threw together uh, to make a special and just wasn't even really that particularly impressed by it when he made it. And yet... You take a very simple story about the commercialization of Christmas. You take a banging soundtrack that that people, Linus and Lucy, the song Linus and Lucy, which is the, the Peanuts Gang song, like that's where it got it made its debut, and you hear it streaming throughout. A Bible verse, which, you know, that was Charles Schultz to a T, and something that he was very much about. It was just a very simple, beautiful story that, you know, at the end of the day, you you come to you come to impress and love, and you know, it's not. I never thought it was such a bad tree. It just needs a little love. That was really all that that special asked you to do, and 
Apple learned the hard way that you were pissing people off if you didn't make it available on television somewhere. Yeah, I I, I like the specialism. I I don't know. It just it was. Uh, I always liked it. It just wasn't one of my favorites. But but I I, I see the allure I, of it. Sure. God, I loved Charlie Brown as a kid. Like when I, in art classes, I would I would draw Charlie Brown stuff all the time. If I could do a project where I use Charlie Brown, I would draw him. I am a gigantic fan of everything Charlie Brown. I think my favorite thing is the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Me and my aunt used to, when I was really little, um, I guess I already alluded it to, to it earlier when I was younger. I, I, my parents got divorced when I was very young. So I, my father and myself lived with my grandparents for a period of time, and his youngest sister still lived there. Well, our thing every Halloween was to carve our pumpkins and bake pumpkin seeds and watch the great pumpkin charlie brown so very very much enjoy that i love everything from the comic strip everything charlie brown to the fact that you've probably heard me do some random one-off solo podcasts called the sunday tunnies which start with the peanuts entrance on the chair shot and that may become the monday tunnies for chair shot radio so we'll see what happens right there nicely done good discussion guys uh, so we're going to go from Patrick's number one animated holiday feature slash movie to mine. My number one or my number four is my number one animated holiday movie. And it is uh, the nightmare before Christmas. So I, I mean, I, and, and this it, it's the, it's the combination of the movie. And then I think it resonates a lot higher with me because until this year and fuck you COVID and all that shit, uh, we always went to Disneyland for the holidays. Go ahead, PC. Can I can I tell you a joke that I made up for Halloween? Sure. What do lumberjacks yell in the forest when they cut down a tree on Halloween? I don't know. Tell me. Tim Burton. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, no. Yeah, okay, I, I like it. Uh it, it is it is the good thing about this movie, it is kind of a merging of uh, two holidays where Christmas and Halloween kind of coming together and where it hits home with us is that every year we would go to Disneyland for the holidays. And what they do at the holidays is they turn the haunted mansion from what it normally is into haunted mansion holiday. And they throw a nightmare before Christmas theme over it, which really brings home the fact that they've merged these two holidays into one, something different. And the entire experience changes to the point where we've debated for years which one do you like better you like the holiday version you like the traditional version um you know jack skellington he's one of my favorite characters zero the 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 ghost dog is it's just there's something about the movie that i've always loved uh you know the whole thing with sandy sandy claws and and that sort of thing it's just one of my favorites i i love nightmare before christmas so i had to put it number four on my list it's a great movie. I love the movie. What's your favorite Tim Burton movie? Uh, probably the Batman. I would say. I mean, it's got to be. I don't know one. if he direct. I don't know if he directed this one or if he just produced it. But Big Fish with Ewan McGregor and Albert Finney. Mine's Edward Scissorhands. I actually saw it in the theater. Yeah, a that's kid. a good one. That's. A good I one. I saw that in the theater too. I did it. It debuted like New Year's Eve or Christmas time or something. Like it definitely remember i think it was new year's eve because my best friend growing up my childhood best friend it was it, his birthday was new year's eve and so we would always go see a movie for his birthday and that was one of the ones we saw 
Great call, Dave. Thank By you. the way, Thank I'm going to bring this show up another time when we talk about another movie on the list. But you've heard me pimp this documentary series on Netflix more than once. But the movies that made us, the toys that made us, they also added two episodes that are the holiday movies that made us. And one of them is a mini documentary. It's about a 45-minute long documentary I, of I, the making of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, there's yeah, three, there's, actually. Actually, There's a third holiday on there now? Oh, no. Is the, is, ooh, maybe I just watched that one. I know the second one's Elf. Right. If there's a third one, I, I missed it. But Nightmare Before Christmas one is one of them. Alone as well. That one's, um, that one's in the movies That's, that made it, though. Okay, there you go. Yep. It's in the original oh, yeah. series. But yes, I definitely because they talk about Chris Columbus and, and all of that. But um for a 40-minute little doc, it's actually really, really interesting to watch and to kind of learn and gain a new appreciation for Elf, even though I don't like it, but we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um but definitely check it out, Dave. It's uh if you're a big fan of the Nightmare Before Christmas, I would say it's worth yeah. the 40 minutes to check out on love, Netflix. Love the movie. But uh, you know, and Tony talking about this and he mentioned a movie which is a nice smooth segue into my number three which may or may not be higher in somebody else's list but it's home alone higher on pcs all right there's not many left i didn't think that i was curious about that so my number three clearly isn't on either of your uh, of your list this is another one that i don't know exists on streaming anywhere and someday i hope that disney takes it because it's a jim henson production uh it's a muppet it's a muppet film it when i was a kid hbo used to run this special called emmett otter's jug band christmas and it is based on it's a retelling of the gift of the magi uh, with the primary characters being uh, a mother otter and her son who are very poor they they make money by doing odd jobs for this little community and they both take a big risks risk in order to enter a talent contest to win $50 to buy one another Christmas gifts. And I, I, I used to check the TV guide for kids. For those of you who don't know, once upon a time, you used to have to get a magazine that would tell you what was on television. Or you could read it in something you can't find anywhere anymore because you can still find magazines. They would print the TV schedule in the newspaper, which came out daily delivered by a boy or a girl That's about also to say. True. anyway it's jim henson and, and you know i could i could have put a couple of other jim henson holiday films on here whether it was the john denver and the muppets a christmas together holiday special from the 70s to um muppet christmas carol which i considered but emmett otter like just every time it's just it's it's about two two family it's a, it's about a family and their love for one another and how that propels them to be happy and propels them to eventually find a good life for one another and the music is very good it has one of my favorite tunes um written by John Denver that was used by him was recorded by him but has also been used in other things a song called when the river meets the sea it's uh not really about christmas in my very much it's much more about kind of contemplating life life's journey and what happens after much of it is is more of a question of the afterlife than it is about christmas and so 
I just I love it. I, it was it was always bookended by Kermit the Frog giving you an introduction, and I it's it's terrific. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. If you can find it, watch it, stream it. Uh, they released it. They re-released it in a movie theater a couple of years ago as like a fathom event sort of thing. And I was sad that I didn't go check it out, but just didn't have the time. I have not seen that one. I don't think I have to check that out. That's my number three. I think we're to Tony's number three. My number three. Yes, sir. I will. Uh, will gift my time to this. <gasps> wow! What's this? This is the North Pole. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Where's the snow? Why are you smiling like that? I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. Make work your favorite. That's your favorite, okay? Okay. Work is your new favorite. Fine. It's time for the announcement. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Santa! Oh, my God! Santa here? I know him. I know him. He'll be here to take pictures with all the children. Yeah. Just keep your receipts. 10 a.m. tomorrow. 10 a.m. tomorrow. Santa's coming to town. Yes. Sign this for me. Oh, hi. Santa's coming. Everybody knows that clip right there. Just a little behind the scenes and what you were talking about before from the movies that made us. Holiday edition. Faison Love, who is the gentleman who's interacting with Will Ferrell right there, is actually a replacement for somebody that they had thought was going to play that role. And that role is going to be played by Wanda Sykes, who backed out at the last minute. And you can watch that movie and still see Faison Love wearing the name tag that says Wanda on it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So I, I love the movie. I love the story. I fa- I love the fact that at the end, it's all about writing a Christmas book. Uh, James Caan, the fact that if you watch John Favreau before one of the parts where James Caan had to do, do something really mean, he went up to him and said, just remember that you're Sonny fucking Corleone. Um, it, it, it's, it's a movie that will last forever just because Will Ferrell and the way they did it. And the best thing that they did was cast Bob Newhart as Papa Elf. I mean, to start off with, you know, there's three jobs for elves, and then at the end it's like, we we tried gnomes, they drank too much, and we tried trolls, but they weren't potty trained. <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing, it's an amazing movie. And to follow almost the Rankin-Bass protocol and have the stop-motion of animation inside of it, animation inside of it, um, I it's one of my favorites. I've already watched watched it twice it's not even christmas this year uh patrick go ahead i know you don't dig the movie that much. so i i don't know why i've just never it's funny because i don't want to poo-poo something that the two of you put on your list and and love so much too much i just never really connected with it and i and I, I even gave it a rewatch after watching the movies that made us because you know, when you learn some of the things and you mentioned the Rankin and Bass thing, like they talked about it, like they were very intentional with that. Like the, the snowman that Buddy the Elf talks to is the Burl Ice snowman from from Rudolph. And like the, the aesthetic of the elves and the look, the I, it's it's a very heartwarming tale. A lot of people love it. It's just never been one that's that's captured my imagination in the way that it's captured a lot of other folks. Let me 
me ask you a question, Patrick, and and shout out to Zoe Deschanel as well. The fact that she is the one singing there and has that voice and and is the ability to act that way is amazing, and it's a testament to her career. But has the little O'Dowd seen this movie? He was what it was. Um, it was actually on this past Friday night on uh, uh, I think it was Stars. I think is the the network that it's running on. He was kind of interested in it. He didn't really. Like he wasn't sucked into it though. Like he, he kind of looked at it for a little bit and then moved on to playing. I can't even remember what it was he was playing with, like Legos, I think at the time. And I asked him, I was like, "Do you want me to keep this on? Do you want to watch?" He's like, "Yeah." So, you know, and I think that makes a difference too. Like he, like I would have stuck with it. Like I said, I've I've tried to watch it a couple times. It just it never it just didn't resonate with me the way that it does resonate with a lot of folks. Yeah, I I love the movie. I mean, there's so much about it that it, it is it is a movie about the redemption of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas and the jaded I mean, you know, New York City. Come on, that's the most jaded place in probably the world. And for those people to get behind the whole Christmas thing, it, it, I mean, that that's a cool thing, but but there's so many funny moments in there, you know, with especially with Will Ferrell and the greatest cup of coffee in the world and and the uh Mail. The mailroom, yeah, with the other guy, <laughs> and uh, the revolving, huh? Revolving door, yeah, the revolving door, the the machine gun snowball fight, the uh, in the park where he just wipes out people. It, I mean, putting maple syrup on everything, including spaghetti. It's there's so many <laughs> things about it, and and uh, I forget who was uh, the guy who played the elf, not that I uh, for the author Miles something or other. I forget who it was, but oh, that's Peter Dinklage. Is that Peter Dinklage? It is. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's, 100%. Yeah. That's another person in the movie. Yeah. That part was, you know. Yeah, you, you didn't even mention Ed Asner as Santa Claus. Yeah. Ed Asner right. Santa Claus. And that's. It's, it's phenomenal. That's. John directs. Yeah. That scene with Peter Dinklage is great. You know, I, I get more action in a week than you've had in your whole life. You know, call me elf one more time. He's an angry elf. And just that. That's so good. There's so many clever little things about the movie that I absolutely love. So yeah, I, I you know lower lower on my list, but good call, PC. Oh, is it me again? Did I forget my turn? Or is it? No, oh, I, I do now. Do I run I it around to two? Your two, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh by I the never... way, Mr. Godad forgot the order. Drink. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm out. I, I drank mine. It's all my stuff already. You guys drink drink twice for me. There you go. Okay, I'll throw it back. <laughs> all right, my number two is a Christmas story. Dave's number one. Well, where it is on Magic Dave's list. Number two. My number two is uh, Holiday Inn. It's Irving Berlin's film Holiday Inn from the 1940s, starring Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire. A story about a uh, a man who's an entertainer who wants to get out of the entertainment industry. So he and his uh, performing partner are about to get married and move on to this farm in Connecticut when he learns that Fred Astaire and her are going to continue to dedicate their lives, making people happy with their feet. So Bing Crosby goes to this farm on his own in Connecticut, has a nervous breakdown, tried to run a farm because he's a city guy. And when he comes out of his breakdown, he comes up with the idea to have an entertainment inn that's only open on holidays and has holiday themed music and performances. And this movie, a lot of people don't, 
Bing Crosby, Irving Berlin wrote the song White Christmas for Bing Crosby. This movie is where a large portion of the population actually got it, not the movie White Christmas. A lot of people think that White Christmas is where that song originated. It did not. Uh, it's it's classic Hollywood. It is a reflection of its time and has one of the most racist scenes you will ever see in your entire life. It is thoroughly uncomfortable uh, as there is a Abraham Lincoln scene with the entire cast in blackface and and not and it's just not a good reflection at all uh of of the quality of film and it's so it's i mean on television that that particular holiday is edited out and uh but it's just such a like it's actually a celebration of holidays in general and has one of the best solo dance tap numbers you will ever see on film uh if you want to see something amazing you want to see what the big deal about fred astaire ever was check out his fourth of july dance routine from the movie holiday Inn, which is done with fireworks firecrackers the timing is impeccable it's unbelievable and you know you watch practical effects and and the sound you know the amazing things that they can do with a sound stage to create the illusion of snowy Connecticut followed by Hollywood and the way that they, and the way that they do that. So love it. This one has a lot to do with my mom. Uh, this is a, this is a, a film that my mom and I would watch together year in and year out. It was always on AMC and it was also always on WGN. WGM is the Ch Ch uh, Channel 9 in Chicago. For those of you in the Midwest, you know where that is. They used to have a um, Sunday afternoons would be classic films. Uh, and it would, and it was one of those that my mom would always make time to catch and watch. And, it, you know, Bing, Pro Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire at the height of their powers, it's, it's a terrific, terrific movie. And I love it. I got no complaints about it. I mean, it's not – it's it, – <laughs> I just never got into the older stuff, but uh, that's just me. But as, I love a movie. As far as my number two, if I'm understanding this correctly, my number two did not appear on either of your lists, and, and and I'm scratching my head about how that's possible. But my number two is uh, Christmas Vacation. No, I have yeah. Christmas Vacation. Did you? On number six. Okay, cool. Thank you. Was it on yours, yeah. Patrick? It was not. Oh, wow. All right. Well, Sorry. That's okay. Do you want me to? Do you want me to replace it? You want me to replace Scrooge with it? Yes. Go ahead and do that. No. <laughs> um. I mean, this. This is why I love the the poll that we did this week between the two movies to see what the nerd review is going to be this week because it's my two favorites, Christmas and and, and that poll. Twenty two voters again. The same twenty two listeners who always vote. They showed up for the poll and uh, Christmas Story narrowly won out. But I love Christmas Vacation so. Oh, yeah. PC voted five times. That's right. That's what swayed the poll a little bit. But yeah, Christmas Vacation, it's it's narrowly my number two. Uh, it's my favorite vacation of all of them, I think. And and just <laughs> the movie's done. It's just Clark Griswold being Clark Griswold. I, I want to have this old fashioned family Christmas and damn the consequences. I'm going to have everybody here. And of course, everything's going to go wrong. And it does. And it's beautiful the whole way. And, you know, the, the shitter's full. Eddie dumping the, <laughs> the RV into the, into the sewer. Uh, the Jelly of the Month Club. It's just, uh, it, it's done so well. And, and it is, and it's just, it's just, it is the, to me, the, the 
everything that makes the vacation franchise so good in this movie and they're going to wrap Christmas around it. It's just Clark trying so hard to do everything and failing so miserably. And yet at the end, everything works out. Okay. And that's what vacation's all about. I think it's the best vacation movie. Do you I agree narrowly and over the first one narrowly, but I agree. It is the best one. A young Johnny Galecki as well to go on to Roseanne and, and big bang theory fame as well. Yes. Julie Louis Dreyfus. Right. Right. And, there, and of course, the incomparable Randy Quaid, who's cousin Eddie and always cousin Eddie and, 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 you know, whose heart is bigger than his brain by far. We, we see that numerous kind of became cousin Eddie in real life. Kind of, uh, kind of did. Yeah. Kind of really morphed into that whole thing. Uh, it's just such a, such a great, hilarious movie. There, there's so many good parts about the movie, you know, the <laughs> Lewis and, and just, I mean, everything they do about the, the, the stuff with, uh, and then you had Julia. Yeah. You had Julia Lewis, Lewis Dreyfus next door with that one dude. And they're just the, they are the yuppiest yuppies you could possibly ever want. And, you know, I love where she, after, you know, she goes there and the squirrel attacks her and she just comes in, says nothing, just decks her boyfriend in the face. Die. Is the guy Rob Lowe? Uh, no, it's not Rob Lowe. I forget who he is. I, I have no idea Look, who that guy is. Yeah, so, doesn't he? I mean, I didn't... I, Apparently oh, not man. famous enough that that movie could tr- put him over the top. Have that for us, and we'll, we'll find that out. Here, I, I like Christmas Vacation very, very much. I uh, watched it last night, as I, as, I, as I think I mentioned, and wrote a Facebook status that was, we are all Clark Griswold at some point in the holidays. Yes. Like, I think everybody can relate to that character. I was just never big on the vacation films for a long time. Uh, and actually of the two, like, I know you guys like Christmas. I actually like the original one better because the original one, the just vacation, that family road trip thing was my life every summer. That was, that was what we did as a family every summer. And so the holiday, the holiday vacation thing, like my dad and my family never was the place that, that hosted the holiday. So we were always, we, we, I mean, we were like the cousin Eddie or the grandma, the, the in-laws of the road. Like we always went somewhere else. And so that was never, that was never the thing for me, but you know, you look at it and whether it's the dinner going wrong, the lights not working properly, the, like the, the things going awry at a holiday, I think every human being can relate to at some point and just, you know, family gatherings in general, when you try to do anything where you're bringing the family together that, that can all, that that's, that's relatable. Wrapping, like the, wrapping have, the cat up as a Christmas present. That's uh right. that's a nice move. Uh, the, oh, you know, going overboard with the lights like Clark does, you know? <laughs> right. So yeah, it's, it's not that I dislike it. Um, and, it, and it just was, and, and it was one I considered, but at the end of the day, like these other ones just are kind of near and dear to my heart, man. Including not, Mr. Hankey's Christmas classics. Not a problem, man. Not a problem. So I guess my number one, which of course is no surprise at this point, it is a Christmas story. Uh, my absolute favorite Christmas movie of all time. I will sit there and try and watch it as much as I can when the marathon comes on. We're going to be talking about it. The nerd review this week. No surprise is going to get five out of five for me <laughs> right away. I, I mean, what's that? 4.88, uh, 4.89. Go for an eight, nine, Patrick, just to spice things up. Uh, you know, the thing about Christmas story that <laughs> it, it, it does 
tell, you know, the whole, it tells it from the perspective of the kid and the, how, how he, he relates to you on a level when you're a kid, like the whole calendar revolves around Christmas. And it is true. And, and Ralphie is just one of those guys that, that you genuinely feel for and, and everything that goes on. And, and the movie's done so well. Cause it's just, it's almost him coming of age as the movie goes along, but he's still a kid at heart and just everything from, from, you know, cursing and getting soap in the mouth and life boy and, and, and his conquering of Scott Farkas and, and the whole bully thing and this, everything he does to get this red rider BB gun. And then when he gets it, he shoots his eye out almost and that sort of thing. And, and the, the scene in the, Chinese restaurant. I mean, you can go on and on and on. There's so many things about that movie that I just absolutely love. I, I genuinely can't get enough of it at Christmas time. I'll probably watch it like ten times during the marathon or bits and pieces of it. It's 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 my favorite. I love it. I've already watched it. I mean, the lamp leg, um, the Ovaltine Dakota Med- for Gile uh, must be Italian. Licking, PC licking the. And I used to tell people that uh, I kick a box and be like, "Don't worry, it's you know it's Italian for kick me for, for Gile." Um, the, the licking the uh, aluminum like pole, the pole, the, yeah, which is pole true, and everything else, them, which is true. And them sitting in class while every them sitting in class while every other student ran to the window was just great storytelling, you know. Uh, I mean, the relationship between the young his his younger brother and the mom, and where he's you know just he won't eat and things like that. The the neighbor dogs who come to fruition at the end and the bump is yes, make them end up having a, 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 a Chinese meal for for Christmas, which I wouldn't mind actually. Uh, it's right. like a turkey that time, but uh, the dad was a turkey hound, so it's just like you said, Dave. It, it's all together, well done. Now, now who it's played amazing. the dad? I forget the actor's name. Do you remember the actor's name who played him? He was uh, God. He was so good. He was the dad in Billy Madison. Too. Yeah, him too. He was so good. Uh, I, I absolutely love this guy. And <laughs> the old man. The I old. Just, the old man. He was, he was called his dad. He was called the old man. That's right. You know, you you damn said you said you won that. Yeah, mind power, mind power. And he's. Oh, you should see what it looks like from the street. You know, and he's trying to do the. Who is it, Tony? Darren McGavin. Yeah, Darren McGavin. He is the unsung MVP of this movie, and you got to love the mom, who is trying to keep it all together, but doesn't want this leg in her <laughs> her front window. She breaks it. She, she breaks does. it. Yeah. Or does she? It's a big controversy no, in the Cleveland no, area. She broke. she broke. No, she did. You so, used up all the glue on purpose. I, I just I think it's such a fascinating snapshot of of a period in time too, and that I think is is just so great. I, I think one of the things that has always spoken to me with this movie and Ralphie in particular is the um you've talked about it being through his perspective, the way his imagination takes on different stuff, like the way he thinks she'll view his essay about wanting a red rider BB gun and that she'll think he's a hero. And this all goes into one of my favorite television shows of all time. And that's the TV show scrubs. Like, Ralphie is is the Zach Braff character in Scrubs. Shut your face, Tony. Bill Lawrence is a genius, and you should be ashamed of oh, yourself. I could I could not hate any more television series than Scrubs. It's oh, uh, you're wrong, but that's okay. Uh, but you can see it's you can see its influence over oh, Bill Lawrence, the show creator. 
um, with with that because Ralphie, like very much like Zach Braff's character in Scrubs does what Ralphie does, where Ralphie imagines what things are going to be or how it's going to go when he gets the when he gets the C plus on the theme and she turns into a witch and he's all betrayed. Like it's just great stuff. It it is one of those things that um, I enjoy. And who hasn't gotten a gift from a relative that they didn't want to put on? Now, was it a bunny outfit? Probably not. But you've all had to wear that sweater that you didn't want to wear because it was hideous. And you had to show your aunt or uncle or grandmother, whoever got it for you, that you got it and that you exactly liked it. So, of course, that's an excellent number one, Dave. Like, of course. Thank you. On to you, uh, on to yours. On to my my number one, and, and Tony talked about a Christmas Carol, and, and that's why I asked which one because there's been so many versions of this film and retellings done. We talked about one already with Scrooge. For me, it has always been the 1951 version starring Alistair Sim. It's a it's a film that was made in Britain. It to me encaps encapsulates everything that Dickens wrote in the story. Like it is very dark. It is very Gothic. It is very telling of the time right up until the revelation and, and the, you know, and, and Scrooge's transformation. It's, it's so great. And I just, I love when I, when I was, again, when I was younger, this was another one that I would watch with my mom all the time, but I also discovered that one of the local stations would air this Christmas Eve night to where Scrooge wakes up at midnight our time Christmas day and he hasn't missed it and it's Christmas day. And so you could stay up and watch it and it, it's a little cheesy and it's a little hokey and, and whatever you want to say that they would time it that way, time it that way. But I loved it that they did that, like that they timed it to where that was when everything happens and it lights up and, and everything about the whole movie changes and the lighting gets brighter and everything looks wonderful. Uh, it also has one of my favorite sort of interchanges when he's with his housekeeper and she's, freaking out and he sits down and he gives her a guinea and she's like he's like do you know what this is for and she's like to keep my mouth shut and he's like no and it's just i I love it the tale itself is is obviously timeless it's been retold time and time again it's been told in animated form it's been told in musical form it's just it's great and i love it but this version to me has always been the defining version of a christmas carol yeah i mean you say go ahead pc go ahead Oh, no, no, you go ahead. No, I, I just like when, when you were saying it's kind of hokey and it's kind of corny, you know, isn't that kind of what Christmas is? It's a, it's a lot of hokiness and corniness and, and tradition and that sort of thing. But yeah, it, it's a it's a tremendous movie. It's a great number one. I mean, it, it is certainly the more, uh, you know, the more familiar version of the story than what Scrooge is. That, that that's for sure. But uh, it, they're they're both it's they're both kind of the. Uh, different sides of the same coin, that sort of thing. And, and, and it's a great movie. So I, it's a fantastic number one. I love a multitude of versions of this, uh, the version that you have Disney's version. I was lucky enough to go see this as a play, which is my favorite version at the Paps theater here in Milwaukee. And you can look up the legacy of the Paps theater, which is world renowned and the, the multitude of entertainers that have been there from the balcony. I got to see this and it's just, it's awesome on stage, to be honest with you. So 
that's my favorite personal version of it. But the story resonates with you regardless of how it's told, as long as it's told well to the morals that it's teaching. Right. I um, just kind of going through the role of the decks because a lot of people, a lot of people like the George C. Scott version. Uh, uh, that one I think was in the sixties or seventies that came out. Uh, there's people that love, uh, I mean, a Muppet Christmas Carol. We talked about that earlier. That's that's the little O'Dowd's favorite. He loves uh, he loves Statler and Waldorf as the as the Marley brothers, and he loves to run around the house singing the Marley and Marley song. So, I, yeah, I just, I yeah, I, I think it's just it's such it's it permeates the holiday. So I is that it, Tony? Do you is that was that Tony's your number, number one? one. He's got, got number one, which yeah. is no secret now. What's your number? I think we know what it is. Yes, uh, I I am currently home alone as well. So to me, it is home alone. Uh, I I mean Kevin McAllister, you know the cast as well. You mean Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern? I mean the mom, the dad, his uncle, Catherine O'Hara, my friend. Catherine O'Hara. Well, I'm sorry. Here I'll go down the list for you. Catherine O'Hara, John Hurd. Uh, you also have uh, Robert Blossoms playing the neighbor. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Everybody knows the lines from this movie. I mean, like, uh, keep the change, you filthy animal. Look what you did, you little jerk. You know, uh, the the opening scene, or or one of the opening scenes where Joe Pesci is standing in the very hallway of the home he is about to rob, and everybody but Kevin comes down and, and sees him, including the mom and dad. So. The whole premise was brand new at the time. Like no one had ever heard of like this kind of story or whatever. So the writing is phenomenal. The casting is great. A young Kieran Culkin as well. Uh, I, I just love it. And everybody knows the whole movie. You you can read. You can sit there in your head right now, and you you can picture the entire movie from beginning to end, and all the hijinks with with you know Stern and Pesci trying to take care of McAllister. And personally, my favorite part is when he just goes grocery shopping and he's like, well, I'm on my own. I'm going to go buy some food and get a toothbrush. And he's like, hey, is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? I have no idea. <laughs> Even the pharmacist don't know. The scene that always gets me is is when he drops a tarantula on Daniel Stern's face and that guttural, absolute scream of pure terror is something that I, I don't know how he did it because you can't fake that and you almost think maybe they put a real tarantula on his face or something to get that sort of an organic reaction that that scene and, and just the whole thing when they try to get Kevin at the house and everything that he sets up to foil them is just so awesome so awesome Buzz, Buzz your girlfriend woof <laughs> Woof. <laughs> Here, here's what I here's the thing I love about that film. Not I mean it's a fun film. It's a delight. Uh, of course, everybody knows it. Uh, it's also that it it has reach in other movies. And you look no further than the movie Dogma, where they're interviewing the muse, and she's like, "I wrote nine of the ten, or I was the inspiration for nine of the ten highest grossing movies of all time." And they're like, well, what was the 10th one? And she's like, you know, that one with the kid that does this thing and he runs around all crazy because he's home alone. <laughs> Nobody bought into that dog shit. <laughs> um, it was just good. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. I think uh, Joe Pesci doing his best uh, Yosemite Sam, Summer Frigger, Summer Frigger, is is one of my highlights as well. Uh, are you Mr. McAllister? 
Yes, the Mr. McAllister who lives here. <laughs> yeah. uh, wet wet bandits, stuff. Tony. It's the wet bandits. List. Wet bandits and John Candy. And John Candy is in the Oh, movie, John Candy. Who did that as a favor to, I think, Chris Columbus or whoever it was. Like, he just, he, he, they had him for a day and he gave him all the time in the world to, to do that little bit. So, just, yeah, terrific movie. Excellent number one. And that's going to do it for the holiday project, fellas. Excellent, excellent job. And, uh, folks, do yourselves a favor. Check out these lists. Check out some of these movies that maybe you haven't heard of or just maybe haven't seen in a long time. Give them a real watch, uh, a rewatch. You got five days until Christmas Day. That's plenty of time to check some of these out. Uh, before we get into Patrick O'Dowd has a question, I wanted to send out a melancholy happy trails to one Jeremy Bullock. Uh, Jeremy Bullock was, um, for those of you who don't know, the original man within the Boba Fett costume in the Star Wars trilogy. And Tawny was actually the one who dropped this news bite on us. And, it, you know, I make a lot of jokes about the Boba Fett character. And, you know, and I say he's overrated all the time. But I, I had a very interesting moment of clarity, Dave, uh, and then I'll let you comment on it. And just in regards to how powerful this character that barely speaks is the Star Wars fans. For those of you know who, who don't, I think most of you know, don't have a lot. Of, I don't have like a big Twitter footprint. Like don't get a lot of followers. I, you know, I follow way more people than follow me. Uh, but I posted this article. It was just like happy trails. Jeremy Bullock was his announcement of his passing. And it's the most retweeted tweet I've ever had ever. And that's not about me suddenly gaining followers. That's a reflection of the guy. And so that the, the character clearly is what, what resonates with folks. And for me, like I was just, I was impressed. Like as I kind of looked through it, did the math, like hundreds of people, not an exaggeration on my meager following retweeted this and shared this out and were struck by the passing of Jeremy Bullock. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. You think about in the last month, first David Prowse passes away, the man behind the Vader costume. And now Jeremy Bullock, the man behind the Boba Fett costume passes away uh it's uh yeah melancholy is a good word happy trails rest in peace uh you know i i wonder what he thought about the mandalorian we didn't really get to hear his thoughts about his character being basically brought back from the dead to a certain extent but um yeah i mean unfortunately uh as we've said numerous times father time still undefeated very true so Thank you for breaking that, by the way, Tony. Like I said, Tony's the one who broke that for us before we shared it out. Um, but yeah, so raising a glass really quickly to Jeremy Bullock. Happy trails. Uh, last poll for you. David has an empty glass, but we'll assume he took a poll of, of some, some alcohol earlier in the earlier, day for it. Absolutely. That's going to bring us into our final segment of the day. Patrick O'Dowd has a question. Uh, again, I always throw these questions out sometimes, and they're always very personal to me that then I want to get your feedback on or hear about. And so when I was working on this list, I started thinking, I mentioned this before, there's a lot of movies I watch during the holidays that aren't 
yeah, during this holiday season that I watched specifically at this time that I would say many people would argue isn't necessarily a holiday film. And so one example of one for me is uh, The Wizard of Oz, actually. I watched The Wizard of Oz every year around this time. And I, I actually blame TNT because TNT started airing it around this time as well. And it's just always become synonymous for Christmas. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a Christmas holiday, but is there a flick? that you associate with a holiday or a show, anything that you associate with a holiday that doesn't necessarily have to do with that holiday. You got anything PC? I'm just trying to PC. think. I mean, opposite for me with the wizard of Oz, when I was a young kid, it was, it, it's my favorite movie of all time. Uh, but when I was a young kid, I would watch it whenever I could. And it would come on like the first week of spring in, in my area. So that's when we would watch that. So maybe that, but everything else, like, I mean, I don't necessarily watch. I mean, it, it. I don't necessarily watch any movies, particularly at a certain time, unless it's associated with a holiday. To be honest with you, I can't really think of or some kind of remembrance. I mean, May the Fourth, um, sure. the Ten Commandments around um, Passover, uh, Passover, and uh, you know different things like that. But that's all associated with something. So. No, not necessarily around a certain time, non-holiday related. Huh. One thing I can think of is like, because I watch this whenever, but like when I watch Rocky 2, for some reason, I think about Thanksgiving because <clears throat> of Apollo Creed's <laughs> comment that come Thanksgiving, I'm going to drop him like a bad habit, you know? So for some reason, that movie makes me think of Thanksgiving, even though it doesn't necessarily really relate to that. But it's just Apollo's line kind of says, oh, okay, this is a Thanksgiving sort of thing. So that's the only one I can really think of. Oh, all right. Well, then it's just me. It's and just that'll you. do it for this This That'll do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Bandwagon Nerds. Woo, lost my breath there. I got so excited. Next week, we'll be bringing you coverage of our, our very special nerd review on the podcast of Wonder Woman 1984, as it will be dropping on HBO Max. So make sure that you tune in for that. I'm sure there's going to be all kinds of news uh, for us to share coming out of the holiday season. But before we go, let's do a quick once around. Remind everybody where they can find you, follow you, listen to you. David Ungar, why don't you kick us off today? Well, you can check me out on Twitter at Attitude Ag, that is at Attitude A-G-G, and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Ah, Washington almost came back. Not quite enough. Mr. Tunney. You can find me at PC Tunney, and that should tell you everything you need to know to find where I'm at all over thechairshot.com. Head over to prowrestlingtees.com forward slash thechairshot. Buy a t-shirt. It makes a great holiday stocking stopper and i did forget to mention i am the reigning defending trivia champion on oh, dwi podcast total BS. <laughs> so i'm noticing some tension there you can follow me on the twitter at wrestling realist at w-r-e-s-t-l-n-g-r-e-a-l-i-s-t you can listen to me every monday on bandwagon nerds as well as every wednesday when i talk wrestling with craig demarco and miranda morales on the greg demarco show be sure to also follow at Bandwagon Nerds, putting up some polls, trying to get some some stuff drummed up for the show as we hit into a little bit of a lull uh, with television show reviews, nerd reviews, all of that fun stuff. Hey, see, Tony, you got a finger up. What's up, buddy? Uh, before you go, I just want to wish you both a happy Festivus for the rest of us. Uh, I got a lot of problem with you guys. 
and now you're going to hear about him. And the last thing I would like to say about it, that is, George, you just wrestle your father. Yes. Merry Christmas, Hana Kwanzaa to both of you. Yeah. Thank have you, a tip thank you very Stop much. Pat, you sons of bitches. Oh, jeez. So, yes, from all of us here at Bandwagon Nerds, everyone, see all of you out there, have a lovely holiday season, whatever holiday it is you celebrate. We will see you after Christmas, as that's the holiday I celebrate, so that's the one I'm going to define, but that'll do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Pull yourself out of the basement, watch some holiday specials, be with your loved ones, and be well. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of thechairshot.com. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas And when you walk down the street Say hello to friends you know And everyone you meet Ho, ho, the mistletoe Hung where you can see Somebody waits for you Kiss her once for me And in case you didn't hear Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year What happened next was a family controversy for years. You shot and shift the pastor You snort, hunger, lay monger, stack a shell, cocker! What was that? What happened? What broke? I don't know what happened. I was watering my plant and I broke your lamp. Always jealous of this lamp. Jealous of a plastic lamp? Jealous! Jealous because I won. That's ridiculous. Jealous? Jealous of what? That is the ugliest lamp I have ever seen in my entire life! Now it was out. Get the glue. We're out of glue. <laughs> You use up all the glue on purpose. The old man stood quivering with fury, stammering as he tried to come up with a real crusher. All he got out was... Not a finger! Hello there, hello you, you boy, you. 
for me. Yes, you. Do you know the butchers in the next street but one? I should hope so. <laughs> An intelligent boy. A remarkable boy. Uh, tell me, have they sold the prize turkey that was hanging there, not the little turkey, the big one? What, the one as big as me? Yes. <laughs> Delightful boy. Uh, yes, my buck, the one as big as you. It's hanging there still. Is it? Very well, then, go and buy it. No, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm in earnest. Tell the butcher to bring it here and I'll give him the name of the party he's to send it to. Come back with the butcher and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. <laughs> An enchanting boy. No clothes on anybody. Sickening. Cool firecrackers. I'll save these for later. Buzz, I'm going through all your private stuff. You better come out and pound me. Buzz, your girlfriend. Woof. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.